1: Welcome back. As always, it's a pleasure every Monday in our second hour to be joined by Brandon Weikert. He is the publisher of The Weikert Report, com. Weikert is spelled W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T, The Weikert Report. He's also the author of a majorly important book, Winning Space, How America remains a superpower and he's got a new book coming out this fall Brandon Weikert welcome back to the airwaves of Phoenix
2: well thank you thank you and uh, it's good to be here and I'm looking forward to spending another hour uh Traveling the world
1: with you. Yeah, I love doing that. I love doing that. I don't know of a lot of shows that take this stuff as importantly as as, as this one, but i've I've always thought it important because years ago, I was I you know my degrees are in domestic stuff, and and right. I I ventured into foreign policy analysis, speech writing, etc. And someone said, "Well, what are your foreign policy credentials?" And I said, "Well, Irving Kristol once put it that." Foreign policy really ain't that hard. He didn't say ain't. Isn't that hard? Right. <laughs> he said all you have to <laughs> all you have to do is know the difference between good and evil. And I thought that that was about as good an introduction to foreign policy as one could have. But that is yeah. what's totally missing from the Georgetown yeah. school. All of none right. of these guys want to have a value content, a value laden right. concept of foreign policy, except for Les Lankowski's school, the school you right. went to, where you guys <laughs> understand that, right?
2: That's right. That's you know. right. And also, furthermore, it's not just about values, but it's also about what's the national interest. Correct. And nobody wants to have that conversation anymore from either side. It's now, you know, one side doesn't want to deal with it and the other side purposely puts the interests of other countries ahead of our own. It's very
1: scary. It really is. So, I do you know the um uh, she's an independent journalist uh born in Iran but a US citizen. Do you know the story of Masi Ellen Nejad and if the pronunciation is off it may it may confound you but she's the Iranian American who yes, in yeah, New York. Right, exactly. Yes. You see her on a Fox she, News occasionally. She's Yeah, she she's, all, she's all very eloquent yeah.
2: and um she is a living example of how dangerous the Iranian regime is, not just to uh, the world, but specifically to the United States and to American citizens, of which she is an American citizen. Uh, and uh, I remember not long ago the lovely Cafe Milano in downtown, yep. and I guess uh, was almost blown up yep. because the Iranians in 09, Hired MS-13 illegal immigrant gang members to go blow up the Saudi ambassador in Washington D.C. At one of Washington's uh, most Tony
1: restaurants, it would have destroyed right. Georgetown had that plot not yes. been thwarted. Georgetown would be rubble.
2: Yes, yes, and uh, I spent many an evening sure. uh, at those, at, at, you know, at that place. A little overpriced, but good. Uh, but uh, certainly not worth being destroyed. And it just shows you, though, how dangerous the Iranian regime is to, you know, any American walking the streets. If you happen to be within, uh, you know, a few miles of an Iranian target or you yourself become an Iranian target, woe beyond to you and your family and your neighbors. Uh, and and I, unfortunately, the, the manuscript for my next book was submitted before the story of this journalist broke. Otherwise, I would have included it. But needless to say, uh, my next book, The Shadow War, which is coming out in the fall of 2022, Mm -hmm. you know, I get into great detail the specific threat that Iran poses to everyday Americans in ways that we don't necessarily think about. Very similar to how we don't think about space as a potential threat with satellites and whatnot. But it is there. And uh, God help us if we don't recognize the threat, because that's when we're going to get hit and that's when we're going
1: to get taken out because we're not aware. Well, nicely put, Brandon, in a good, good, good roll through history. I remember a talk show host. When was that plot? Uh, the plot against um, the plot against Cafe Milano. Uh, when was that? That would have been around 2011, I think.
2: I think it was either oh nine or 2011. It was during the Obama first right. term. I remember yeah. that.
1: Yeah. So it was circa 20. I, let's let's but, call but it 2011 just, for debate's sake. We'll clean it up just, on the just, break.
2: Keep in mind MS-13's involvement in that as well. Right, right,
1: who we're not supposed to call animals. Remember that one? Do you remember for a week Nancy Pelosi was challenging Donald Trump for using the word animals and describing MS-13? No yeah, now, of animous. course,
2: when and now, similarly today, when real Americans are being evicted because the mortgage moratoriums ended that yeah. Trump instituted for covid nineteen, where's Nancy Pelosi? She's on vacation. yeah, she's tweeting, yeah, she's tweeting her sympathy, yeah, but ultimately Nancy Pelosi's too beholden to her donors to actually do anything to help average Americans. That may be non sequitur, but in my mind, it shows you
1: where her priorities are. Uh, well put. Uh, not a non sequitur. It's all, it's all part of where we're headed here. I remember, I think it was 2011, as I say, we'll look on the break, when that Cafe Milano uh, threat was thwarted. And I remember a radio host, a national one, saying, can you believe the Iranians would try something like this? And I thought, shut the H up. Of right. course. How could you not believe that a country that opens its parliament with chance of death to America right. and that has been at war with us since nineteen seventy nine? That's right. Why would they 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 killed us at the kobar Towers, they killed us yep. in Beirut, they killed us um in um in in, in, in any number of any number of occasions Argentina
2: doing it right exactly Exactly. why why
1: wouldn't they try why so when a national radio host said can you believe they would try and do this I realized how important it was to talk about foreign policy because not even my team understands the dangerous threat we face that's right
2: that's right And, and you know before 9-11, the decade before that, you saw an escalating threat vector coming from al-Qaeda. Mm-hmm. They started They started attacking us on the periphery of the quote-unquote empire. Right. They started attacking us in the Middle East, in Africa, and then they bored their way into Manhattan and Washington, D.C. Uh, on 9-11. Uh, they were perfecting their techniques abroad and then applying the final product, unfortunately, here, once they felt they had a working operation. And I think something similar is going on today with Iran. For the last 30 years, they've been funding and doing terror attacks and and targeted assassinations against supposed enemies of the regime all over Europe, all over the Middle East, all over Africa, all over South America. And now I think there's a pivot going on where they're now starting to target Americans directly here in the United States. Uh, and I think they feel confident that, A, they have an administration in the Biden administration that will do little to stop them, and, B, that they have honed their skills and their, their abilities to such a point that they can believably pull this off in the mainland United States. And that's a scary thing.
1: It really is. And and, and and this this plot, whether it was Milano in 2011 or Masih al uh, last week— one of the interesting yep. things about – two weeks ago, one of the interesting things about – so Mas, Masih al was invited, I guess, to meet with the national security advisor, Joe Biden's national uh, security um, advisor. Uh, and, you know, she, she gave them a pretty good lecture. She said, yes. she said, as long as they're trying to kill Americans, why are you trying to engage them in a nuclear That's deal?
2: Right. That's right. And it's well, a anybody, damn good
1: question. Yeah.
2: Yeah, well, anybody with half a working knowledge of the region understands how devastating the Biden administration has been to our policy vis-a-vis Iran. Furthermore, now my colleague at the American uh, excuse me at the Asia Times is uh, is is coming out with a great headline article about how because of our uh, rapprochement with Iran. The Saudis are now backpedaling on their previous support for the Abraham Accords, which was the Trump administration's policy to bring the Sunni states aligned with Israel and us in order to contain Iran. The Saudis are now backpedaling along with the Sunnis away from Israel, and they're now trying to actually do a deal with Iran. They're Mm -hmm. trying to reopen uh, the the embassy uh, with Iran, and they're trying to, to stabilize and normalize relations. This is a complete 180 from what we were trying to do and what the Saudis had wanted to do, but because Washington is no longer led by a president that actually wants to deal with Iran as as a real threat, wants to make believe that we can make peace with these people like Neville Chamberlain and and Hitler, uh, now the Saudis are having to backpedal and say, well, we're going to do whatever we can to make a deal and get on the good side of these people because they're obviously going to be the ascendant power. And and the Israelis and the Americans are out, and the Russians and the Chinese and the Iranians are in, and we have to live in this neighborhood, the, Sa- the Saudis, and we want to make nice.
1: Nicely put. i got to take a quick break. I want to yeah. focus a little bit on China when we come back. Our, great. Our guest is Brandon J. Weikert. He is the publisher of The Weikert Report, the also happy to take your call, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Leapson Show. Delighted to have Brandon Weikert with us. He is the publisher of The Weikert Report. We do foreign policy and some domestic uh, every Monday in our second hour. Brandon, you have a lot on China over at your website, uh, com, And uh, one of these questions I wanted to run by you. Are China and the U.S. destroying each other's amphibious warships? <laughs> I was reading, um, I think a blog, I think it was a blog or a tweet by someone I think we both like. I know I do, Gordon Chang. Oh
2: yeah, yeah, Gordon, good, good buddy of mine.
1: Yeah, okay, good. And he was saying he believes that we haven't done any naval exercises against China in an awfully long time, and that there is no way we can protect something like Taiwan right now. Do you yeah. share that uh, cynic- cynicism?
2: Well, just two weeks ago, Gordon and I were on a panel together in D.C., and that's exactly what we were saying. Oh, okay. Um, uh, in fact, I told him and the audience that my research indicates, uh, and this is coming from sources in the Navy that I know, uh, that you know, we basically the Navy is quietly assuming they will not be able to use super super carriers the way that we have planned to use them. Because China has built what's known as anti-access aerial denial, area denial, A2AD capabilities. These are uh, basically weapons systems that can keep our carriers far away from Chinese territory and targets like Taiwan. And so the assumption is that we'll probably need to rely heavily on submarines. Uh, As it stands, we do not have enough submarines to be able to go after the Chinese in the Taiwan Strait and still, uh, you know, deal with our other mission sets around the world. And if we were to lose a portion of our submarine fleet, the shipyards, our shipyards do not have the mass production capabilities to replace those systems fast enough in the event of an actual shooting war with China. Uh, And so we are not in a good position right now uh, to be able to defend Taiwan or even to defend ourselves, really, uh, in the event of a conflict with uh, with China uh, and a maritime level in the Navy, in the sense of the Navy, uh, which would be the tip of the spear, because the geography of that region is mostly water, mm-hmm. we would be dealing with a large water component, maritime component, and our Navy is not ready. I spoke with a senior leader of, in the Navy. I was briefing his team back in November in California. And he pulled me aside, and he was telling me that it's worse than you know. And he was telling me how he and his command staff, their families, all pulled together and bought, this is not a joke, bought property in Idaho. And I said, oh, that's nice for retirement. He goes, no, it's because we think that we're very close to, quote, the big one, and we want to get our families out of Dodge. So that's where senior people in the Navy are thinking. I don't think we're in a good position at all. I think Gordon, as per the usual, is correct. And I think it's probably worse than even he's saying.
1: So what's worse than even that is that you know it, Gordon knows it, obviously people in our defense department know it, but the Chinese know it. And that's what's yeah. worse than even
0: we yes, know it.
2: Chinese, the Chinese, let's just face it, you know, if it was a fair fight, you know, mano a mano, the United States, could conceivably win, but because of how the Chinese have adapted their forces, because the Chinese know they'll be fighting closer to their shores, uh, the Chinese have considerable advantages, qualitative advantages, not just because because they know that our leadership is a mess. They know our political system is very vulnerable to disruption. I think they've already been disrupting our political system. Uh, You know, we hear a lot about Russian disinformation. There's Chinese disinformation. We know, for instance, that Chinese agents of influence were deployed from China's consulate in Houston to embed with Antifa during the the last year's horrific uh, riots, race riots. We know that the Chinese are exploiting the cleavages in our political, socio-political system to try to make the divisions within the United States greater so that we're at each other's throats here and we don't have the time or energy to defeat the Chinese militarily. So there are qualitative advantages. And as the decade progresses, the Chinese, I believe, are going to get quantitative military advantages, particularly in their part of the world. Over us, and that's a very bad thing. You know, Reagan said that the world wars did not start because America was too too strong. It started because America was too weak. Right. I think the third world world war is going to start that for that precise reason.
1: Yes, I'm I'm thinking that same thing. And what, what one of the things that I find interesting is when you look at the historical context when we people like yourself are. Or myself warn about the problems of China, whether it's internal, whether it's military, whether it's involvement in other countries, whether it's their you know desires and long term goals it's It's inevitable that we will be um we will be waved away uh in in the sense that you know the left will say. Yeah, you guys tried this in the 50s, too, and warned us about all these problems. Well, there were a lot of problems, uh, as it turned out, with uh, communists in America. Uh, Americans were, uh, in fact, uh, charged with espionage. Some were put to death. Um, But the problem, Brandon, I have right now is how much it has been allowed to filter in and take over places, precincts that would normally help in the resistance. Hollywood was anti-communist in those right. days. It's pro-China these days. Right. It makes things well, very hard. the military has
2: gone woke. Yes. I mean, the military leadership itself. Yes. I mean, we. you know, at the time that China is perfecting their battle strategies for how to defeat the United States in an actual war, the United States military's leadership is opening up their critical race theory books. Mm-hmm. And that's not an exaggeration. I know there's a lot of hyperbole today, uh, but that's not. Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, told us that he wants his officers to be reading critical race theory Mm -hmm. and to understand the roots of white rage. Right. And, uh, you know, if I may pause it here, I think the roots of white rage, if they exist at all, is over incompetent governance. Yeah. I don't think it has anything to do with race. I think everybody's tired of bad government. This was why so many people voted for Obama in 08. They thought he was different. They thought he was going to change the government. He ended up being a proxy for the government. I think this is why also many of the same people who voted for Obama in 08 turned around in 16 and voted for Trump because they wanted an agent of change. So if there is rage in this country, uh, I think it's directed at bad governance. And I think our military leadership is now following in that broken mold of embracing bad ideas and bad governing principles, or lack thereof, and I think it's going to lead to our first real defeat, uh, and it's going to go downhill from there. I'm predicting, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm predicting a very bleak decade. China knows. They know that they can
1: hit us. Hold that thought right there. That's a pregnant point, Brandon. Let's pick up on it on the other side. That's a really pregnant point I want to explore with you. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Brandon Weicker. We'll be talking a little more China when we come back. And if you have a question for Brandon, he's happy to take it at 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show. Brandon J. Weikert, publisher of The Weikert Report, author of Winning Space, is our guest talking on some foreign policy. We'll do a little domestic in a few moments, but I want to uh, clear out this point about uh, this uh, serious uh, line of questions that uh, Brandon has been chasing down and pursuing with regard to our posture against China. Uh, the difference between the '50s and uh, what we were dealing with then is the major institutions in America were by and large on our side, uh, and 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 equally saw a threat from communism. Uh, today, that's different. Hollywood now bows to China. In fact, changing story storylines that Chinese government doesn't right. like. We. I was just making this point the other day, and I don't know if it's relevant, but. Six years ago, there was one socialist in all of Congress. Since that time, he's become the runner-up to be the presidential nominee of the Democratic Party, and there are now five socialists in Congress. Yeah. This is not 1950 America.
2: No. No. This is a very scary America. This, At the extreme, this is Russia right before the revolution. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's an extreme example,
1: yeah, but but I, ideologically I, I that's where philosophically that's where we're at. Uh,
2: you know, people like Steve Bannon might say that we are America right before the Civil War. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I hope that's not the case. I think that would be a really bad thing for multiple reasons. I think it's totally um,
1: avoidable myself.
2: Yes, I do too. Um, but we're certainly at an inflection point where this country is really going down a bizarre path in its political development. Um and it is going to ripple out to our foreign policy because we're basically hollowing ourselves out, creating a brittle foundation for our massive country to stand upon, and it won't take much for a rival like China or Russia or a combination of China, Russia, Iran to really break our back. Already you're seeing countries making different calculations about their relationship with the United States that have otherwise been stalwart American friends. And I'm not talking just about European countries. I'm talking about countries like Canada and New Zealand. Mm -hmm. These are are countries that are part of the Five Eyes intelligence community network. Five Eyes is probably the most important Cold War-era intelligence-sharing agreement that has been maintained through today. It is the United States, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, and Great Britain. We Our intelligence services operate as one, and they, they, they kind of keep an eye out on perceived threats. Uh, and both Canada and New Zealand are starting to let the Chinese in to such a point that now it's risking the Five Eyes network. Mm. Uh, and uh, this is the backbone of any kind of defense from an intelligence perspective, counterintelligence perspective, that the West has. And New Zealand and Canada both are letting the Chinese in to such a degree into their country's political system that we have a real threat emanating, possibly not just from New Zealand, but from our northern neighbor. Cleo Pascal is a great analyst on these issues. She's friends with Gordon Chang. She's on the panels with me and Gordon as well these days. And she's a Canadian, and she's been telling everybody who will listen, there's a problem in Canada, it's the Trudeau government primarily, but there is a big problem where Americans might not be able to be as reliant upon the Canadians to be our good neighbors that we have just assumed they would be. Uh, and it's because of the growing relationship with China. And China is lobbying hard to, to basically have massive influence in Canada. So this is a huge threat that we're, we're watching grow to our north and also from New Zealand Because these countries are not just, the regimes there are not just friendlier towards socialism, but because they perceive the United States as basically destroying itself from within. And they don't believe they can rely on us. So they're looking at a new world power saying, they're the future, we're going to have to make a deal with them. Very similar to how I've talked about the Saudis are making new deals with with Iran because they think that America is hitting the chicken switch and is abandoning the region. They have to go with the next power. So this is, this is what happens when American power is in extreme retreat. Uh, and uh, it's very scary because it, it's not going to be left beyond the border. It will have direct implications over time for us here. It will make us a less secure nation.
1: Nicely put, Brandon. Thank you. I have calls and emails for you I want to read on the other side Great. of this break. Uh, we'll do that. And also, <laughs> tell me on the other side of this break, is it jingoistic of me, or is it really what kind of rubbed most people wrong when they heard General Milley say he wanted to read critical race theory to understand <laughs> white rage, that a lot of us thought, at least I did, I'd, I'd rather he worry about Chinese rage than Americans' rage. Right. right. Uh, yeah. Just tell me if that's, if, that's, if that's too backward when we get back. Because common sense <laughs> these days, it's kind of a subversive activity. Brandon gets it. I get it. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Our guest is Brandon J. Weikert. He's the publisher of the Weikert Report, as well as the book Winning Space, author of the book Winning Space. Brandon, um, I invited the audience to raise some questions with you, some of them by email, some by phone. Let me let me start with the phone. Steve and Tempe. Steve, you're on with Mr. Weikert.
0: Hi, Seth. Hi, Brandon. Hello. Hi. Uh, uh, Brandon, I... I uh, had a question regarding the the covid virus yeah. that you're i'm just curious what your opinion is as it relates to it uh, do you, you know my personal opinion is i don't think this the fact that this virus was released to our country and other countries is, is but is an accident i think think it was done on purpose to made, be yeah. and made to look like an accident and i wanted to ask your opinion because my theory on this too relates to what was going on in Hong Kong when this yeah. when this all happened. as you know, there are some there was, there the protests were ramped up, yeah. and people were in the streets and I'm pretty sure the communist government was trying to come up with an idea to get these people back in their in their houses, get them off the street without using the Tiananmen Square tanks and right. and guns. And and this virus did a pretty good job of doing that. I'm just curious what yeah. your thoughts are.
1: before. Thank you, Steve. Before Brandon answers that, just a note to the media. By raising that question, you are not a COVID denier, okay? okay. <laughs> we know that COVID exists. We know that there's a narrative you want not to have Chinese responsibility for it. But the inquiry into it does not deny the existence of the virus. I just little common sense here for our media, please. Thank you. Well, Sorry, fun Brandon. little
2: fact. Fun little fact. Uh, now that uh, you know, Orange Man is out of the White House. Uh, the Biden administration is even saying that they don't believe that uh, necessarily COVID nineteen is a naturally forming phenomenon. So there's a fun little fact there. As some of your audience may know, you and I have talked about this both on the radio and offline. I was among the first of five journalists, and I don't like to call myself a journalist, but whatever. I was among the first of five journalists who was uh, were trying to get data released because my, I was married to a geneticist who worked at NIH, worked for Fauci, worked for Collins. My wife, my wife knows this. Uh, very well. When the disease first propagated, she said, oh, this sounds like the gain-of-function research we were doing. No kidding. Uh, and and that is what propelled me to start investigating. And it was until recently, open source, you could locate NIH data on what they were funding. University of North Carolina was very proud of the fact they had partnered with wuhan's lab uh and i wrote a, a, a long a long form essay for the new english review about china's bioweapons weapons or, or biohacking threats the united states uh, i for five years almost have covered biotechnology development in china for american greatness uh and uh, so i was one of the first people who knew about this and and, and was trying to get it out nobody would publish me Uh, People on the right at the time in in March and April of 2020 did not want to publish this uh, because they didn't want it to hurt Trump's re-election campaign. It was a bad calculation on the part of Trump's campaign to not explicitly say this was an attack from China, because it was, to not put the country on a war footing, because they should have. And it would have also prevented the left from getting Americans to turn on each other, which they did. Uh, And uh, so I do believe it came from a lab. Uh, I I can't explicitly prove it, but I have enough circumstantial evidence to make a case, which is why my third book I'm working on now is about this subject, Uh, and I have plenty of NIH data sets talking about this. So, yes, you're correct to question the timing and everything, and I would also remind your audience, as you and I have spoken about before, the timing. One thing that Chinese regimes are very sensitive to, not just internal rebellion in the form of Hong Kong, but they're very sensitive to food supply issues. Because historically, Chinese dynasties have been overthrown for the course of 5,000 years when they can't feed their people. And what Trump did with the trade war, going after the soybeans and going after agricultural foodstuffs coming from America to China, he threatened China's food supply at a very precarious time for the Chinese regime. Now, Trump, I think, looked at this as, I just want to get a better deal for American farmers. But the Chinese regime are in this war footing already against the United States. They looked at that as an attack to other means. And I think that they said, OK, we're going to release this disease uh, and we're going to force America to basically convulse into a shutdown. Hopefully it gets rid of Trump and hopefully it brings in someone more amenable like, like Biden to China. And guess what? All the pressure went off China and now china has a more predictable player in the white house and i think that now you're seeing as david goldman my friend at the asian times is reporting you're seeing china trying to craft this deal with the united states whereby we will ease our restrictions on chinese tech our tariffs that trump imposed uh, on foodstuffs and whatnot in order to get china to buy more of our debt and in exchange we'll buy we'll allow more sales of chinese goods into the United States to help ameliorate the inflation uh, that's going on here from all the excess government spending. And I think you're seeing the crafting of a return. And Janet Yellen sort of sort of gave the, the store away recently when she basically said that's where they want to go, a return to Chimerica, the marriage between China and America economically. So you're seeing the, the, the results of that attack by other means with biological weapons uh, that COVID-19 was. Uh, And it has had a lot of unfortunate effects for this country. We are now living, I think, in the creation of a new Chinese world order. And I don't know if we're going to be able to hit the undo button. It's very sad.
1: Boy, that Chimerica phrase, it it sets me back on my heels. I much prefer prefer Sino-Soviet, but that's gone. (laughs) Right? Uh, Listener Hal uh, writes in, uh, does Brandon think that Taiwan is to China and the next global war, what Poland was to the start of World War II in Germany, an ally that cannot be defended because of Western weakness that will trigger a disastrous war that could have been avoided if the reality of peace through strength and old fashioned deterrence was acknowledged by Western political
2: leadership. Great question. It yeah, is a great question, and I think that that's an apt um, excuse me, comparison. Um, unfortunately, um, the, you know, John Mearsheimer and Stephen Walt often talk about the, quote, stopping power of water on geopolitical matters. Uh Um, But I think that the proximity of Taiwan to China, coupled with America's very clear decision to not stand up for its ally, um, I think it indicates that China is going to get very aggressive in the next decade in trying to take Taiwan. And I think they're going to be able to. Japan has intimated they will defend Taiwan if the Americans won't, which may pull us into a war. But the downside to that is we're now letting others dictate when we'll go to war right. as opposed to ourselves. So the war is a state of accompli. It's going to happen. It's a question of when, and it should be at a time and place of our choosing, not dictated to by circumstances. Remember Abraham Lincoln's lament that he said, I, I, I have not controlled events, right. but rather confessed plainly events that controlled me. And he was saying that that was a failure of his leadership. Right. And in some respects, it was, yep. as great of a president as he was. I don't want to see that happen in the nuclear age. I don't. I don't it's very scary to me. And I think it is going to happen. So
1: To take it know. circle full circle as we close, Brandon, uh, the reason Lincoln got through it is the reason... Irving Crystal said, foreign policy isn't That's that right. hard. You just know the difference between right and wrong, and you'll be okay. Right. Lincoln got that. Right. I'm not so That's sure right. our current administration does. In fact, I don't think they do. Brandon, yeah. you're, a, you're a treasure and always delightful <laughs> visiting with and learning from. I thank you for everything you are and do.
2: Thank you. You too.
1: Thank you, Brandon. Much appreciated. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602 508 your show here on out. Just a couple uh, quotes from the media uh, that uh, have been put together and um, actual quotes. Quote, Talia says his hospital is managing but just barely keeping up with the increased number of sick patients in the last three weeks. The hospital's urgent care centers have also been inundated And it's outpatient clinics have no appointments available. Here's another one. Dr. Bernard Kamens, associate professor professor of infectious diseases at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, says the UAB hospital canceled elective surgeries scheduled for Thursday and Friday of last week to make more beds available. Here's another story. Quote, we had to treat patients in places where we normally wouldn't. Like in recovery rooms, the emergency room was so crowded both with sick patients who needed to be admitted, we had to, we had to use emergency rooms. Here's another. In California, quote, in California, several hospitals have set up large surge tents outside their emergency department uh, departments to accommodate and treat patients. Even then, the L.A. Times reported this week emergency departments had standing room only and some patients had to be treated in the hallways. I'll do just one or two more. In Fenton, Missouri, SSM Health St. Clair Hospital has opened its emergency overflow wing as well as all outpatient centers and surgical holding centers to make more beds available to patients who need them. Nurses are being pulled from all floors to care for them. Last one. It's making their pre-existing conditions worse, she says. More and more patients are needing ventilation due to respiratory failure. Oh, one more for fun. From Laguna Beach to Long Beach, emergency rooms were struggling to cope with the overwhelming cases and had gone into diversion mode during which ambulances are sent to other hospitals. I have here about 20 others. The sources are places like Time Magazine, the L.A. Times, New York Times, and some local papers, as in Birmingham, Alabama. And every one of those quotes is from 2018. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. I believe what they did in the media was just create a macro F7 from 2018 to input throughout all of last year and what we're beginning to see more of this year. 2018, all that was going on. You remember it? You remember it? I don't remember it. Had to do with the influenza that year. You know what we didn't do? As serious as all that, you know what we didn't do? We didn't put diapers on our faces. We didn't inject five-year-olds. We didn't cancel their classes. We didn't stop churches and synagogues and AA meetings and other 12-step meetings. And we didn't send people into bankruptcy. We somehow muddled through to the point where I know everyone in earshot who heard those quotes is going to say, Really? We said all that in 2018? You bet we did. To which I tell the media today, shine on and go read about the little boy who cried wolf.